evening series for this school year, which we've entitled Growing in Grace, the Means of Sanctification. There's, in some ways, this could take 10 years of school years to go through because in many ways it's an inexhaustible subject. There's so many areas that um, the Lord uses in our sanctification. So we're just picking in no particular order various important topics as we go through uh, different ones of us um, that are teaching. And uh, we kicked it off with the pursuit of holiness. Pastor Steve did that one some months back, which is vital and, and is key. Um, Massimo covered um, repentance, the necessity of repentance. Um, two times ago, I covered the discipline of fasting and denying ourselves last time. And tonight, we're going to be looking at what I'm calling a triad of Christian growth, a triad of Christian growth. There's many triads in the Bible, many threes, as it were. And what we're going to be looking at tonight are commands, three commands given in one of the Apostle Paul's epistles. And it is this, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Um, you can say it that quickly, you can, but doing it is much, much harder, isn't it? And really obeying uh, these things that are before us. So let's go ahead and um, read. I'm going to just um, probably go back from verse 12 to get the broader context and go through verse 22. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, if you'll find your place in your Bibles, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12 to 22. And again, we'll just be focusing on verses 16 to 18. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See that no one repays another with with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Amen. Let us pray. Father, indeed, we ask that you would remove distractions and cares, Lord, that you would help us to consider these three commands that are rapid fire um, directed right into our hearts. And Lord, that we would apply these things. We pray that you'd bring clarity. We pray that you would help us in our growth and our sanctification. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Paul is writing, this is one of the earliest uh, letters of the Apostle Paul. He's writing to a church that he spent um, a relatively short amount of time uh, with. And Acts 17 is the backstory for that one. Paul and his missionary journeys comes to Thessalonica. It says that he labored three Lord's Days there. It probably was a little bit more than that uh, for the church to be established, but it was a relatively brief time. It may have been a few months. It may have been as much as six months, but it was relatively brief uh, from all indications. But yet at the beginning of the letter, he could write 
I give, we give thanks to you always for all of you making mention of you in our prayers. This is 1-3, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of God the Father, knowing, brethren, beloved of God, his choice of you. There was enough, Paul was there enough time to discern, these indeed were the elect children of God predestined before the foundation of the world because they have exhibited these fruits and have demonstrated tangible fruit. The body of this letter really goes up through 5.11 or so, and then from 5.12, largely what I read, are rapid-fire exhortations of Christian responsibility. In other words, how we apply these things. And in our text this evening, this threefold command, this triad, as it were, is very closely connected. For as we rejoice in God and in His person, we will naturally want to pray. And then we will naturally want to give thanks in all circumstances because of these things. And by the way, these are not optional. You can't leave here and say... I'll consider that maybe tomorrow or maybe next week. No, these are, in, these are imperatives. These are commands for the child of God. So these are not optional. It is binding upon every Christian. One man called it uh, the standing orders of the gospel. And I like that. It's the natural response to those who have truly been saved by grace. Because those who have truly been saved by grace know what they've been saved from in eternal destruction. And so the natural response is one of rejoicing and one of communing and one of giving thanks and gratitude. Paul links these things together and, and, and even the, the way, the, the phrase that's after each one, rejoice what? Always. Pray what? Without ceasing. Give thanks what? In everything. I mean, it's, it's all-inclusive. We didn't sing it tonight, but the hymn, Take My Life and Let It Be, Let My or Life Be Consecrated to Thee, and then it goes on and, and talks about take my moments and my days, take my hands, take my feet, take my voice, take my silver and my gold, take my lips, and let it all be consecrated to Thee. And that hymn is the essence of what Paul is commanding here and all, all three of these imperatives are connected to this is God's will for you. It's, it's not as though I wonder if that applies to me. This is God's will for you. It's very clear. So my purpose is, is very simple, that our love for Christ would overflow into a life of joy and prayer and thankfulness. So the points I've got structured, and even I think all the subpoints in the form of questions. So we'll just go through it briefly. Verse 16, are you a joyful Christian? Are you a joyful Christian? Uh, we must acknowledge, as I said, these are not optional commands. This is something that we are obligated to um, obey, as it were. And what is the nature of this command? It's rejoice always. We are to have joy, not in our circumstances, not because we received the raise at work or we've got the new car or, or all of these other things that are circumstantial, but we rejoice in what? The person of who God is, His goodness to us that He's lavished upon us, this love, 
His glorious promises, all of these types of things. It's not in our circumstances or in things physical so much. Scripture is clear. We are told to have joy in all situations, even in trials, right? Count it all joy, brethren, when you encounter various colored, literally various colored trials. We read, our brother Marcos read earlier in Philippians 4, which, by the way, you have Rejoicing, prayer, and thankfulness all in that little passage in Philippians 4. But Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Paul is very clear. And, and what does this mean to rejoice, you might ask? Well, it means to enjoy a state of happiness, a state of well-being, um, to be glad. And one that has been transformed, as I said earlier, Uh, how can we not be glad on what God has done? This supernatural joy comes from the Holy Spirit because we have new natures and we have new hearts and the Holy Spirit resides on the inside. It should come more naturally. We rejoice in the Lord's work when we hear of how souls have been saved in rural villages in India and other missionary endeavors and how God is blessing the word as it goes forth even among our own congregation. As we see souls saved, as we see answers to prayer, we rejoice because God in his good providence has chosen to do these types of things. So we rejoice because in the past, He's redeemed us in the present. He's sustaining us no matter what we're going through. And in the future, he will bring you to heaven. Why does Paul tell this young church to rejoice? Well, the end of verse 18, that phrase that I already said, for this is God's will, it applies to all three of these imperatives. So first of all, it is God's will. And also, those who have the most confidence in God being sovereign and fully in control will naturally be those that have the most joy because they can respond to these curve, curveballs, to these you know, things that come down in our lives that are unexpected. We can respond to those with joy. Many who have little faith are often distraught and find it hard to rejoice. That's why we should pray, Lord, increase our faith. The the vital importance of maintaining a proper perspective on biblical joy is very clear. And Christians have many reasons to to, to rejoice and to be grateful before God. His holiness, His justice, that He satisfied His justice even in His Son. His perfect character, His His long-suffering towards us, all of the glorious attributes of who He is, His mercy and His love. We love because He's first loved us. The appreciation for the imputed righteousness of Christ that when God looks at me, it's not as though someone that they can't wait to judge me, but no, I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And that's imputed because of His work. The Holy Spirit that He's given us that all so often we can be dead to, that we can try to ignore or not even realize that no, the Spirit of God dwells in me as an earnest, as a down payment. And and what a wonderful thing that is. Because it's wonderful for two things. One, to encourage, to console when we're going through difficulty. There's no better comfort than to know 
the Spirit of God, that, that the triune God is encouraging me through the intercession of Christ, the Father's fatherly care, and the Spirit consoling and encouraging, and as it were, putting His arm around me as I walk through that trial. But also when I become stubborn and hard-headed, that the Spirit of God is faithful to come and to convict and to convince of sin and to pull me back. How can you do this? First of all, guard your heart from anything that would distract you from those things that don't have eternal significance. There's so much that we spend so much time on that really have no eternal significance whatsoever. The bottom line is anything that we find joy in more than God is really an idol. So positively, express your joy to the Lord. Express it to Him privately. Express it corporately. In fact, we're going to have in our prayer meeting an opportunity for those that want to give praise to God. That's a demonstration of joy, a demonstration of gratefulness of what he's done in your life. The psalmist says, in your presence is fullness of joy and pleasures forever. We also need to know that there are things that can cause us to lose our spiritual joy, isn't there? When we begin to question and doubt God when we doubt the promises of God. Well, I know it says that, but I don't think it really means that for me. Those types of things. Or maybe you're wallowing in self-pity. Maybe you're so self-absorbed, that kind of reverse pride where you're not boasting about yourself, but you're you're wallowing in self-pity. If only everybody knew how much I'm going through. To focus too much on what others think and not enough about what God thinks. To be a people pleaser, you're going to be sapped of joy. To live a life of unconfessed sin, your joy will be sapped. Look at the psalmist in Psalm 32. These are the types of things that contribute to depression and a lack of joy. Paul set the example earlier. Just flip back to chapter 3 and verse 7. Probably one page for most of you. For this reason, brethren, in all my distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? It goes on to say, night and day we kept praying most earnestly. Also, you see in 2 Corinthians, the paradox there in in regards to the difficulties that Paul had encountered. And he says, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. Those beautiful paradoxes that even when we're sorrowful, maybe from lack of food, exposure and all of that, we can still rejoice in the Lord. So, rejoice. How often? Always. Secondly, He goes on to say, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Well, what exactly is this teaching us? Well, one thing, the way it's connected, surely it means that those who are rejoicing in the Lord will be more prone to be praying often, to be praying without ceasing. Look, because of the work of Christ and his priestly work of ascension that he intercedes for us and tells us to come boldly to the throne of grace, what a great privilege, what an honor that is. We should make use of that. The Puritan Stephen Charnock says this, There must be delight on our parts. 
Joy is the turning of the soul. The command to rejoice precedes the command to pray. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Delight makes the melody of prayer, or it will be but a harsh sound. And what he's saying there is that joy tunes the heart to pray. Rejoicing in who God is enables us to pray more accurately and with the right composure, that we're not coming grumbling. And it's very interesting, this adverb that's translated in the NAS, without ceasing, it means without intermission. It means incessantly. It's the same word that Paul uses at the beginning of Romans in nine, where he says, how unceasingly I make mention of you in my prayers. Well, the idea here is that we're in a continual attitude of prayer. This does not mean a certain posture. Well, I've got to go to work. I've got to change my, my, my kids' diapers. I've got to care for them. I've got to cook. I've got to do all these things. How can I be on my knees all the time? Well, it's not talking about a posture per se. Neither is it talking about meaningless repetitions, which so many religions have, right? You just kind of, you just keep saying that over and over and over and over. It's not talking about this either. But what does it mean? Brothers and sisters, it means that in any posture, in any attire, at any time, in any place, in any circumstance, Prayer is to be a way of life that we can come and that He hears us. Romans 12.12, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, being devoted to prayer, being fully devoted to prayer. So we must seek to maintain a constant spirit of prayer. You should be in such a frame of mind that you're ready to pray at any time, publicly and privately. If someone asked you, you know, I'm going through this difficulty. Can you pray for me? Uh, I got to prepare for that. I, I, you know, don't ask somebody else or something like that. And I'm not talking about praying up in front of a group. That's understandably he would be reserved. But just being ready to pray because you already have this attitude and this habitual prayer with the Lord that it just can come naturally to you. Many in our church have been sick, and most are uh, on the upswing to that. But what happens when uh, they're sick, uh, for several of you, the hacking cough and the continual hacking cough that wouldn't go away and sometimes stays for a couple weeks even, even after you're, you're feeling better. But, but what happens? You feel that tickle in your throat. You feel it right there, and you're, you just have just enough time to maybe turn your head and cover your mouth to cough. Well, same too, applying that to this idea of unceasing prayer. When the Spirit prompts you to pray, that tickle in your throat, your reflex reaction should be to pray. Not to say, well, I don't have, I've already prayed this morning. I'm not praying until tomorrow morning or whatever. It's, it's a reflex as you feel that, as it were, that tickle in your throat, that leading of the Spirit. One man said, the little estimate we put on prayer is evident of the little time we give to it. If you put a little estimate on prayer, this is Bounds and written several books on prayer. If you give little estimate on prayer, it's evident that you give little time to it. The more time you give to it, the more precious it will become. Um, One of the German 
commentators, Lange says this, prayer is the true thermometer of the spiritual life. So I encourage you this week, take that thermometer and diagnose yourself to see where your spiritual life is. Just as we breathe without ceasing or you will die, so too we are to pray without ceasing. Why does Paul say this? Again, it is God's will for you. And, and Paul is concerned for the spiritual maturity of this young church, this young church. And most theologians think he wrote within six months after he left. So if you take the shorter view of perhaps he was there for a month or maybe two months and he's writing within six months, these are new believers. They're seven, eight months old in the Lord. And yet he can write such encouraging things of knowing your election because of your steadfastness of hope, your labor of love and your work of faith. But he realizes that doesn't come automatically. And so all of these things of which I read earlier in the message, appreciating those who labor among you or above you and in the context of the church, admonishing the unruly, not quenching the spirit, examining everything, abstaining from evil, these are all keys to Christian growth. But this little triad, it seems like it's kind of glued together that it makes, as it were, a hard baseball glued together these three this vital triad is important for christian growth you're not going to grow if you're not rejoicing in who god is it means you're ignorant in who god is if, if you're not praying and you don't have an attitude of gratitude he is fully aware of the trials that they were encountering this this the church was founded in the midst of persecution And so he wants them to maintain proper perspective. And that's why the Lord's Prayer is so instructive for us. What a good pattern that your motives and prayer should follow this. That that you begin with the glory of God and your desire to commune with God. That His kingdom would come not only into your own heart, but that His kingdom would come around you as you see souls converted. As your daily bread is given and you pray for wisdom and deliverance from sin. There's so much wisdom in that prayer. John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, says this, prayer will make a man cease from sin, or sin will entice a man to cease from prayer. Prayer will help a man cease from sin, right? But the opposite is also true, that sin will entice a man to cease from prayer, and some of you are like me that sometimes I just, I don't have the words to say. I don't know how to communicate to the Lord. And, and that's okay because He sees and He reads our hearts. The Spirit intercedes with groanings too deep for words. That's the idea of a soul languishing before God, knowing who He is, but becoming up bankrupt with the right words to express to this wonderful, glorious, holy God. And so the Spirit intercedes on our behalf with groanings too deep for words. Jesus is interceding for us as our great high priest in addition. Listen to Spurgeon. He says, we may speak a thousand words that seem to be prayer, and yet we never pray. On the other hand, we may cry unto God's ear effectually and never say a word. You see what he's saying? Don't think you've got to come up with all the verbiage and the gift of gab before God. <laughs> he knows your heart. He knows your weaknesses. He knows the disposition of your mind. You don't have to come up with all the words. 
But it's your heart. He wants your heart and he wants a sincere heart. And so we must come in that regard. And Spurgeon says, even if you never say a word. And so that's the idea of Coram Deo, living before the face of God, continual fellowship with him. And brothers and sisters, we can pray about everything. Nothing is too small. Nothing is too great. We can pray about everything. How practically can you do this? First, be in a habit of prayer. If you don't have a habit of prayer, how are you going to ever pray without ceasing if you don't even have a regular prayer time? Be faithful to have concentrated times of prayer. And when I say that, I don't mean two hours in the ivory tower. What I mean is a time in which you remove all distractions from you for whatever it is, five to 20 minutes per day, maybe a half an hour ideally, something like that. But the the key is that it's devoted, it's directed towards Him without interruption. Because all too often it's like, oh, I'll pray a little, oh, little alert, oh, pray, okay, go do it, I'll go do that. And it's just so fractured and, you know, cut up that it's of practically no use. We have so many examples in the Bible. Jesus himself going out for concentrated times of prayer. Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah, three times a day devoted to the Lord in prayer. And it takes diligence. It takes fighting laziness. It takes fighting the attraction of other things. Text social media, all of these types of things. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. And then as we have those, we're talking about how to do this, as we have this, these concentrated times of prayer, a habit of prayer, in a moment, as you're going through the course of the day, when something happens, you can, as it were, offer those arrow prayers like Nehemiah did. Because you have that disposition of prayer and you already have communed and prayed with him, they are effective, but they're only effective if you have that regular prayer time. Some people try to survive off, you know, the, the Cheeto crumbs and never eat a real meal, you know. In other words, they don't have that concentrated time of prayer. You're not going to survive off of that. You need the meat of that prayer time. Pray with persistence. We don't have time to turn there in Luke 18. We see there, and um, towards the end, it says, now he was telling them a parable to show them at all times they ought to pray and not lose hearts. Back in chapter 3 and verse 10, when it were at the passage we were at before, it says, night and day we're praying most earnestly. So we're to rejoice always, we're to pray always. And then this will lead naturally to giving God thanks in every condition. One man said, when a person prays without giving thanks, he has clipped the wings of prayer so that it cannot rise. That's either Spurgeon or J.C. Ryle, I'm pretty sure. I don't have time to, I just know the, the quote. It's a person who prays without giving thanks has clipped the wings of the prayer so that it cannot rise. Do you pray, or do you give thanks in every condition? Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. In every circumstance, all that occurs in this life, not just when the wind is at your back, but even in trials. This command leaves no room, no excuse to be ungrateful for anything. Colossians 3 and verse 17, whenever, whatever you do in word and deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him 
to God the Father. And again, what does it say? In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you. This is His will. When you're tempted to doubt God's faithfulness, consider how faithful He's been to you personally. God has brought you through difficulties in the past, and He will bring you through in the future. The ten lepers, only one turned back to give thanks. Thankfulness is... At thanklessness is the essence of an unregenerate heart. The, the list of the, the wicked pagans in Romans chapter 1, it says, For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. How can you do this? Recognize that every good gift comes from God above. All the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ, He has given us an unshakable kingdom, Hebrews 12 and verse 28, but also all of His material blessings. He's continued to provide for us. Very rarely have we had to miss a meal or maybe not had a place to sleep. We live in a country in which we're so richly blessed, and yet this country is the most discontented because we want more, we want more, we want more a tendency to grumble and complain. Our flesh wants to give in to jealousy and envy and ungratefulness and worry and fear and all of these things when really deep down we know that you are sovereign, Lord. And that's why he says, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. We need to present our lives as a living sacrifice unto him and to be content in all circumstances, Philippians 4 and verse 11. doesn't matter. We're unemployed, we're homeless, we're bereaved, whatever. We can give thanks because we serve a sovereign God who is in control. This is God's will for you, and notice in Christ Jesus. Paul keeps hammering this nail in this letter. Um, it's very clear this is God's will, His commanding will. It's His holy desire Jesus himself in John 4 says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. In the context of this, it's easy to pass over, but in everything give thanks, this is God's will for you. Notice in Christ Jesus. As we are unified to Christ, it's, it's as it were, it's set forth in the context of the redemptive work of Christ. This is what enables us to rejoice and to pray without ceasing and in everything to give thanks. It's because these truths are, are something that the born-again Christian will naturally want to express. Well, very quickly, if you're outside of Christ, you can't obey these commands. <laughs> There's no way you can obey these commands And so come to Christ. Um, If you're rejoicing, your rejoicing is in winning the lottery or, you know, having some pleasure satisfied for a day that's going to quickly go away. Um, You need to come to Christ and see that he perfectly kept God's law on behalf of ruined sinners. And for us, brethren, we must keep an eternal perspective on the things that we have to deal with in this life. We live day to day, hour to hour, minute by minute. Just entered a new year, year by year. But what's the eternal perspective on our entire lives? What is he seeking to accomplish? Can we have confidence that he's working, confidence that he's working everything together for good? 
and that we're more than conquerors, as it says later in Romans 8. Beware of lethargy that would keep your heart from rejoicing, always praying and giving thanks in all things. If your heart is cold, pray until it warms. It's like the more time we spend in prayer, it's the rubbing of sticks together. Keep praying, keep praying until you see smoke, and then pray more until you see a fire, until you have a spark, and then finally the embers that you have there have ignited and the warmth comes. Keep praying and not lose heart. John Bunyan says, pray often, for prayer is the shield of the soul, a sacrifice to God, and a scourge for Satan. If we would obey these three exhortations, this triad, as it were, to growth and grace, what can a devil do to a joyful, thankful, praying Christian? Nothing. Nothing at all. Reality is, as too many of us look in other places to rejoice in and to find our satisfaction, may the Lord help us uh, to find our delight in Christ and in God, and in his promises, and in his word that would naturally lead to this triad, rejoicing, praying, giving thanks. We don't have to wonder what God's will is. It says it right here. This is God's will. And by the way, the construction is the same as earlier in chapter 4. This is God's will for you, your sanctification. And in this context, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And so, our growth in sanctification, this is God's will. This is God's will that we've considered. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would help us to apply these things even this week, that we would, as it were, evaluate ourselves each day uh, this week. And Lord, we pray that you give us special help to rejoice, and to pray without ceasing, and to give thanks in everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.